What does it take for global companies to survive a bruising trade war? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's anyone's guess as to how the next few months will play out with regard to the escalating trade war between the U.S. and China. What's already known is that some companies have been helped by the imposition of tariffs on Chinese imports and others hurt. On the pain side of the ledger, the impact has been significant. Major automakers are encountering up to $1 billion each in incremental costs as a direct result of the tariffs. So what should companies be doing to protect themselves from the fallout of this economic and diplomatic crisis? We get the big picture today from my guest Stephen Bowen, CEO of Mainpoint. He'll sketch for us the range of options available to international traders in terms of short, medium, and long-term responses. We'll learn of the importance of evaluating the total value of one's supply chain and just what that term means. And we'll get an answer to the question, who survives a trade war? And so here is my conversation with Stephen Bowen. Steve Bowen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate you inviting me to join you today. With regard to the issue of tariffs, especially tariffs on imports from China, they haven't been in place for that long. But what impact have we seen that they have had so far? Well, up to date, there's been numerous impacts on the various companies as the implementation has occurred. With the original $50 billion and the follow-on $200 billion that has occurred, it's really affected, most importantly, the businesses that have spiked volumes associated with the holiday season shopping, which obviously is many businesses, but those products in particular have taken the advantage of the opportunity to order increased quantities earlier in the process and to place those shipments into inventory here in the United States ahead of the tariffs being actually implemented. That's created some real challenges with the demands currently in the transportation system, this has created a bit of a domino effect of some lack of responsiveness from those various transportation entities to be able to fulfill this spike in demand that occurred early. So that was sort of the first piece, Bob, as I've seen companies react to these tariffs. The second piece that I would just highlight is companies have begun immediately looking at their optionality and what can they do for the, I'll say, medium-term and long-term, because short-term, if I classify that as the next few months, outside of ordering products early, it takes a bit of time to change things. So in that medium-term to long-term, what effects can they have by taking action within their supply chain to shift where they buy products from or how that whole distribution process might occur of getting the products landed here in the United States. Tariffs were are meant to protect U.S. domestic manufacturers, but they also have a negative impact as they percolate down through the supply chain on domestic manufacturers that rely on imported goods to incorporate into their products, thereby increasing the price of their products even though they're producing domestically. Have we seen that 
so far as a serious problem, and do we anticipate seeing that as a serious problem? I don't think we've seen a lot of that to date. I do believe we will see quite a lot more effect of those increased costs, be it the 10% or so on the raw materials that go into a number of products. And we're seeing that as we move closer into the absorption of that in the supply chain. We're seeing, particularly in the high technology space, where you have everything from printed circuit boards to plastic parts, and I could name various other related categories that are all affecting the cost of that product. And so we're already seeing that companies are planning either to raise prices or we're seeing in some of the secondary, meaning business-to-business relationships, we're already seeing some price increases as a result in order to absorb that cost in the immediate future. You said, I believe, in a recent previous interview, I believe you were talking about the auto industry encountering up to a billion dollars in incremental cost as a direct result of the tariffs. So that is definitely an impact we've seen so far, right? Well, it's actually each one of the car companies, Bob, have forecasted uh, approximately, of the U.S. car companies, have forecasted approximately a $1 billion each increase in the cost of their vehicles. And that effect will start with this new model year. And so you're right, we are already seeing increases in the list price of those products. If we're seeing actual price increases at the moment, it's unclear because the demand has slacked off a little bit, not just to increase costs, but it's also uniquely timed with increasing interest rates at the same time. So when you look at the combination of those two events for the automotive companies, this spells for a great deal of trouble and challenges at a declining demand moment and increasing cost moment. You talked about technology. That's an obvious one because so much tech is produced and manufactured in China and elsewhere in Asia. One of the surprises, though, is the impact on construction. I believe Mm -hmm. you were saying that construction acquires about a $10 billion worth of goods from China, and it's going to affect that industry. That's a, a pretty sensitive industry, too. That could be trouble, right? I think it spells for some real challenges for the construction industry, and you're exactly right. $10 billion approximately. I stated that the other day, and it's real. And so those product costs are going up now by 10%, and so that's going to start to affect the whole process of building and even for commercial properties, bidding on properties. We'll see those price increases occur to cover those costs. If that goes to 25%, and I know you want to talk more about short-term, if that goes to 25% in the next 90 days, then I think we see a very significant impact because that will change the cost base in such a fashion that it can't be absorbed in perhaps other efficiencies across the construction industry. I think that's why we haven't seen so much pricing increase, not just in construction, but across many industries, is they've found ways to absorb this first 10% cost increase through other various types of efficiencies or improved supply chain performance. Should we take any heart from the 90-day delay in that 25% tariff level, or are we just saying that's a pause and we expect it to happen just a little bit later? I don't know if any of us can forecast this one, but I will say this much. If I were running any company, I would be portraying that this increase to 25% is going to happen. I've said from the get-go, this is much likely to get worse before it gets better. And while we've had this momentary peace for the 90-day period, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be. So one should only assume the worst potential outcomes and then take action. 
I can give you an example of something we're doing with a client right now to help them take that action, if that would be helpful. We have a company that's near a billion dollars, very high-tech products, very, very tight specifications and tolerances. Many of the key parts are made overseas, and many of them made in the Asia-Pacific Rim and China specifically. So what is being done in order to look at this whole set of optionality even in the relative near term, because these are not products where you carry high degrees of inventory. We are going through with them an exercise to create this optionality that goes well well beyond the, so to speak, tariff engineering of the past. And we can talk about that more in a moment. But tariff engineering is just some basic changes in product or location of where they buy the product, where this is a whole total value approach to looking at the supply chain and then evaluating that total value as it relates to the customer base. Tariff engineering is just short-term reactive, basically, right? It is, with perhaps the exception of the apparel and the footwear business, where they might actually change the chemicals in a product quickly and easily to avoid a tariff. But overall, it's very reactive. And so this takes planning and thoughtfulness. And you have to look at the entire end-to-end supply chain cost and the actual ability to execute from a time frame perspective, if you're going to look at value as it relates to whichever company this might be, their customer set. So when you evaluate that whole stack, then you look at the cost increase of the tariffs. Let's say if you currently buy that product in China, now you've got a 10, or let's just assume it's going to be 25. Now you've got a 25% increase in the base cost of those products coming into the United States, you evaluate that entire supply chain end-to-end for both cost and timing and the ability to serve the client versus if you were able to develop a source for that product, say, in Eastern Europe or in some other country, in India perhaps, wherever it might be, or in the United States even, where you might have increased product costs, but the total supply chain might be shorter. So when you look at that total value optimization to your own customers, now you can really evaluate what's that mean from a value creation for stockholders and stakeholders in my own company in how we make decisions. What we're finding is we're finding in about 60% of the cases, even at a 25% tariff level, China still wins, but just barely. So the cost advantage is lost. And when I say just barely, I'm talking about three, four, or five percentage points. But then you have to weigh the hassles of changing a supplier, right, and the difficulties that go with that. So, so far, that's how it's played out. The other 40% of the time, it is creating a need to change the base of suppliers to a different supplier in a different location. You make a very good point that it's just no easy task to just suddenly turn the switch on a different supplier somewhere else in the world. Although I would have thought that companies would have learned the lesson of optionality or diversification of supplier bases before the tariffs came into play as a result of the string of natural disasters we've seen in recent years where companies got caught out by not having a diverse supplier base in places like Thailand and Japan. If anything's going to teach them that lesson, I thought it would be that. But I guess not. I guess companies have to learn it all over again now, don't they? It never ceases to fascinate me, Bob, how many lessons companies learn over and over again. I love your story and that portrayal of the risks that we've seen in the supply chain that are obvious, because they should be obvious to people, yet it doesn't always cause people to change. And the second part of this is, I would say, it would kind of be likening it to ERP systems have become predominant across 
businesses. Yet we can go into a business, I won't name companies, obviously, but we've just gone into a business that's roughly a billion and a half, $2 billion business with many different operating entities still operating 11 different systems, not consolidated. Mm -hmm. So you would think that companies would learn these lessons, but unfortunately, different circumstances cause different reactions. This is what prevents many supply chains from being enhanced to the level they should be, because when you live within one industry for an extended period of time, and that's no fault of the people, the people want to do a great job, but if your viewpoint is limited to that industry over and over again, it's very easy, so to speak, to not even know you have your head in the proverbial sand and you're not looking ahead to make those changes. It just seems, though, that this is a hugely complex determination process, making a decision as to where you want to base your suppliers, the degree you want to rely on one supplier over another. And of course, and if you get it wrong, you're in trouble. You're going to pay a lot of long-term costs that could actually upset a company's stock price in the long run. So how do you even begin to get your arms around a determination like this? Is it an algorithmic thing? Where is the formula, if any such thing exists, where optionality can be determined correctly? I would like to segment that into two components. So the first thing of, is there a way to evaluate things? Is there any kind of algorithm or data sets that can tell you what's going on? The answer is in today's world, there's not. And there's not because the technology hasn't quite caught up with the overall needs from the marketplace and what's the future dynamics of commodities, et cetera, and being able to predict and forecast that based on market conditions throughout the world to being able to understand what's happening in transportation and transportation demand and the fact that we have a bit of a shortage of trucks and truck drivers right now. So how are you going to get your products to the final destination in a most cost-effective and time-effective fashion? There's no simple algorithm that can actually determine all of that. That's the first piece. I believe a lot of technology-based companies might like you to think that's true, but without the complete input and understanding of a team of people, and when I say a team, I don't just mean the team inside of a company. I mean a team of the end-to-end supply chain. So that includes your suppliers and your suppliers' suppliers, which requires a lot of different human interaction and input. And that need to optimize these supply chains is where it often breaks down because you have silos inside of a company. And when you have silos inside of a company, how can you expect to break down silos between yourself and your own suppliers? And that takes a lot of trust and the ability to openly communicate and know that you actually want your supply base to make a good profit margin. And it's not just about pricing as an example. Those are really hard barriers to overcome. And in many cases, people aren't equipped today to have various tools to go about that. So when you talk about, is there a way to evaluate this? What we've attempted to do is to create a way to determine what's the maturity level of the various components of the supply chain. Whether we're talking about the overarching sales and operations planning, or we're talking about a specific function like procurement or logistics, transportation management, or we're talking about some other manufacturing operation. The ability for a company to properly evaluate and assess that is also really difficult for them to do themselves. And 
to get a combination of their own self-assessment plus some outside assessment allows them to get a full, complete picture of where do they really stack up, which then highlights the improvements that need to be made. So leaving aside the difficulties with making some of those improvements, just knowing where you stand, what I say is you need to be able to do two different evaluations. You need to be able to stress test your supply chain, and you need to be able to understand the maturity of your supply chain in terms of a performance in a collaborative, integrated fashion. And those two factors together can give you a real opportunity to identify what improvements you can make quickly, what improvements you can make over the medium term, as well as that over the long term. Of course, it's not a one-and-done process, is it? Once you've come to that determination and you put everything in place, everything could change in six months. So you need some kind of capability to keep on top of this and monitor things on a constant basis and then decide whether or not to react to anything that's going on, right? It's totally true. People run around today, Bob, I'm sure you've heard it many more times than I have of talking about the, quote, Amazon effect. That's a nice phrase right now. It's catchy, and everybody kind of knows what that means as to what's happened in some of those supply chains, like the grocery business, et cetera, that Amazon's been highlighted in, not necessarily at the immediate forefront, but that grocery business has been attempted for, I don't know, a decade or two now to have home delivery. They just haven't figured out how to do it, and Amazon appears to be on that mode. Well, Forget about Amazon, because most businesses aren't necessarily directly affected by the Amazon effect if they're in a business-to-business kind of industry. And so from that standpoint, what really has to be looked at in today's world with technology is who is going to disrupt that industry, and in what fashions do they see possible, or do we think a competitor might be able to completely change the dynamics in that industry. And so it is happening at very rapid pace, and technology is enabling many of the younger companies to do this because they're not burdened by the history, they're not burdened by stranded capital, and they can take a completely new and dynamic approach to an industry. So it can happen in a lot of places. I hope that connected together, Bob, and made sense in the overall picture of how fast it can change. Just to bring this back around to our original discussion about tariffs, I guess the question can be raised, who survives a trade war? What kind of a company comes out of this okay? And I think you kind of addressed it a little bit. I wonder if you could just sum up for us what that company is that comes out of the ashes of a, of a war and is on its feet. The company that comes forward through a tumultuous time that's being created either within the industry or through tariffs is the company who actually has a full capability of assessing what, one, their optionalities really are in their supply chain and know that globally. I can't tell you how many times, Bob, I've heard companies say, oh, well, there's only four suppliers of that product in the world. We go through an engagement with them and we find out there's 30 or 40. The dynamic can be very different. So first is optionality. Secondly, is then being able to say, okay, if I understand what my options are from a supply-based standpoint, then how do I stress test my supply chain from beginning to end to meet my customers' demands and requests? If you can find those stress points and compare those stress points against a true honest assessment of how mature is my supply chain from a perspective of procurement, logistics, operations. It's the buy, make, move, fulfill supply chain. And how mature am I compared to my competitors as well as other companies out there? Now, I can overlay that maturity on top of the stress points 
and usually define very crystal clear what changes I need to make immediately, and then back that up against the optionality versions, and I can determine what changes I need to make medium-term and long-term. And that is usually companies, just like executives that I see out there, executives and companies that open their arms to outside help and to different perspectives, usually are the companies that come forward in the future. It's the companies that tend to keep themselves closed off or not accept that outside input or that an industry could be completely changed by technology in a matter of six months or a year are the ones that end up in the disaster zone. Well, there's no arguing that we are in extremely uncertain times right now, but Stephen Bowen, I want to thank you so much for helping us to kind of clarify the situation and maybe give a path forward for companies that want to come out of this intact and indeed uh, even more successful than before if they take some of these steps that you're recommending. Thank you so much for being with us today. Bob, thank you for hosting this, and I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss this very important topic of the changes in supply chain. That was my conversation with Steve Bowen of Mainpoint, talking about how global traders can survive the trade war. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.